Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Charles didn't have just any coronary artery disease. He had Charles's coronary artery disease. Michelle didn't have just any heart attack. She had Michelle's heart attack. At VCU Health Poly Heart Center, we know every heart is unique. And as Virginia's only nationally ranked heart program, we'll keep them beating healthy and strong. VCU Health Poly Heart Center. Learn more at vcuhealth.org slash heart. Well, since we have a football game to watch in a little bit, we might as well get this show underway. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to today's podcast of the Miller Frost Show. I am your host, Miller Frost, here as always with my fake black friend, white boy Malcolm X. Before I forget, you can always get hold of me at my email, miller at millerfrostonline.com. And my understanding is that Parlor should be back online as of tomorrow, the 8th. And my handle there is at Miller Frost. And I also have a site on Locals, and that is MillerFrostShow.Locals.com. And that's where I post these, um, these podcasts up there commercial-free if you want to go over there and listen to them there. And since I lost the race, I'll just go ahead and get this out of the way. I am supposed to confess that white boy Malcolm X is the far superior snowboarder than I am. We made it back safely from our Friday adventure into New Hampshire, but... I did lose, so I have to get that out of the way. Although, in my defense, I did not grow up in Breckenridge, Colorado, with I don't know how many you know world-class ski resorts in the uh, in spitting distance to my parents' estate, like some people I know. So naturally, since this was, I took this up as my midlife crisis. I am not nearly as good, but I can, I think, hold my own. So before we get started on our news pile today, and yes, White Boy Malcolm X, we do have Gay at the front and Smoking Gun at the back, let us knock out a couple of news quick hits. And what those are, folks, are just some news stories that I really just didn't want to delve into too much, didn't want to waste the ink printing them out, but they're still entertaining enough to to mention. And so first off, I think I am actually becoming a liberal because I normally would disagree with the notion that the rich get richer while the poor get poor, but I really truly think that the rich are getting richer because I saw a news article that the Obamas, and that is Barack and Michelle Obama, and that is the former first couple, they have announced six, not one, not two, not three, but six new Netflix projects that are coming out for all of us to to binge watch at some point, so... They are making good, good bank, as they like to say. They came to do good and are doing very, very well indeed. Although, let us not forget that poor Michelle, despite the fact that she lives in a multi-million dollar house in Martha's Vineyard, she is still one of the most oppressed black women out there. I mean, let's face it, folks. 
when white women cut you off in line at the ice cream stand when you are surrounded by Secret Service agents. That is white privilege. That is systemic racism. And poor Michelle, no matter how rich she gets, no matter how many white neighborhoods she lives in, she is still the victim of systemic racism and white oppression. And if the Obamas getting richer is not bad enough, white boy Malcolm X, since you like to throw Ryan Seacrest out there whenever I asked about perceived, perceived gayness, did you know that he is leaving, after 14 years, he is leaving Ease Live from the red carpet? He is out of there. He is. He, <laughs> no, he is. He's actually leaving. I have no idea why they're live on the red carpet. I am going to assume it has something to do with those award shows. And I don't know which ones. He might be out there for all of them. But he is, he is gone from there. And uh, I, I'm assuming he will be sorely missed. I don't know by whom, but he will be missed at some point. Not here. <laughs> on another topic, we had a story on Wednesday's show about Jenna Jameson. After 23 years, she has finally come out and announced that her relationship with, oh God, what was that weirdo's name? Marilyn Manson. His relationship with her was a bit of a hot mess. She said he liked to nibble on her and some other weird stuff. <laughs> I don't know. It was just kind of an entertaining story. I'm like, well, you know, 23 years late, honey, I guess. Okay, if you want to talk about that now, but she's not the only one. Evan Rachel Wood, she is on that show Westwood, which makes absolutely no sense half the time, but she has come out after 13 years of dating him. She's now coming out and complaining about Marilyn Manson being a, a nut job to date as well. Did you know White Boy Malcolm X? They fired Lou Dobbs on Friday. He's out of there. Done. Boom. He should not have gone against the swamp. He's done. He is gone. Yes, he is absolutely gone. Not that you care. Mama Frost loves. I mean, I am second in her life to Lou Dobbs. I mean, not anymore. Now I guess I'm first. But she loves that Lou Dobbs. I'd be calling her and she'd be like, I'm watching Lou Dobbs. Can you call me back later? I'm like, uh, okay, Mama Frost, if you want to hang out with Lou Dobbs. But not anymore. He is gone. And in another quick hit, did you know White Boy Malcolm X? You know who David Hogg is? Yes, he is the twin. Yes, twink. <laughs> Yes, he's this dopey little twink kid that, that's, he, you know, he was in a bad situation, right? The, uh, the school shooting in, in Florida that killed a number of kids. But he has, he has used that, he has parlayed that into quite a celebrity career as some sort of activist. And there's actually, I don't know the kid's name, but he came out of the same experience. He was there at the time as well. But he has taken a substantially more conservative approach to being much more gun, you know, gun rights friendly, and nobody ever hears about him. That's why I can't even recall this kid's name. But David Hogg, he is out there, and they love to hear what this dopey little, I think he's like 19 or 20 years old now. <laughs> I don't even know. But he's out there now, and he says he wants to start a pillow company. He hates, he hates my pillow, and he hates Mike Lindell. And so, I mean, it wasn't worth printing the ink to read about that stupid drama queen, but he apparently wants to start his own woke pillow company to go after my pillow. <laughs> and that is the the perfect example, folks, of the hubris of youth to be, I don't know, 19 or 20 years old and say, I hate Mike Lindell and I hate him so much and I hate his stupid my pillow so much. I am going to found my own pillow company, my own woke pillow company to put him out of business. And I don't think David Hogg has even managed a lemonade stand, but somehow he thinks he is going to create a global pillow company just to get at Mike Lindell. He is as spiteful as a queen, white boy Malcolm X. Jesus. That kid needs to get a, a life or something, man. Man, oh man. And, and if one story 
on how horrible white women are wasn't enough, folks. <laughs> and if you're like, Miller, what, what are you talking about? We had that story. It was a Vox story, and it was written by a hysterical millennial white woman, and she was complaining about other white women being enablers of systemic racism and white supremacy because they have always had a seat at the table, and she, I think, was referencing back to slavery, and that's how long white women have been enabling their men to be racist bigots, and so it was their fault that this was all going on, or a good bit of it, but now we've got another white woman, and this was out of the Washington Post, and the headline with that one, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and folks, I admit, she's kind of a nut. I mean, what comes out of her mouth is kind of crazy. I am not going to sit here and defend her because that is kind of, I'm not touching that. But the headline is Marjorie Taylor Greene is just the latest radical white woman poisoning politics. And that is written by Elizabeth Gillespie McRae. And Elizabeth Gillespie McRae, that is not hyphenated, by the way. She's just snooty. She has to have three names. She's another white woman complaining about other white women. <laughs> you white women out there, I'll tell you what, you in the backstabbing, you act like a bunch of queens. You act just like a bunch of gay men. Okay, now that those are out of the way, let's go ahead and get started. This is from ABC News, and this makes me, White Boy Malcolm X, this makes me miss our theme songs. And folks, when we had, just to fill you in, when we had our podcast about 10, 11 years ago, we used to have theme songs for different news articles. So we had a bullying block. That's when bullying, gay bullying was a big news item, and so we had a theme song for that. We had our transgender news theme song, and that was RuPaul's You Better Work. <laughs> that was kind of funny. And when we had any sort of news where a member of the LGBTQ plus community broke through what I like to call the rainbow ceiling, so women have the glass ceiling and queens have the rainbow ceiling, we would play the theme song from the Jeffersons. Moving on up. <laughs> but we can't do that now because I don't want to get sued. But anyway, this is the headline for this one. Pete Buttigieg makes history as first openly gay cabinet member confirmed by Senate. Former 2020 presidential candidate and South Bend, Indiana mayor Pete Buttigieg has made history as the first openly gay cabinet member in U.S. history to be confirmed by the Senate. At age 39, Buttigieg also represents another first as a millennial. I don't know if that's a good thing. And the youngest person nominated to creepy Uncle Joe's cabinet. Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema, the country's first openly bisexual senator. Holy crap, white boy Malcolm X. Did you know that the U.S. Senate, the world's most deliberative body, has a bisexual? It's got a bisexual woman in there. And folks, if you don't know what a bisexual is, they'll do anyone. <laughs> they will literally do anything with a pulse because they are bisexual. They are not choosy. They will literally do anyone. But they've got one now in the U.S. Senate. God. Who knew? Anyway, she was presiding over the Senate Tuesday and announced the 86 to 13 final vote. Those 13 people no doubt were homophobes. So can you see that, White Boy Malcolm X? You've got a bisexual. You'll have someone who will do anyone announcing that a queen, she got in a millennial queen at that, has become the first openly gay cabinet member in U.S. history. You go, girls. As Transportation Secretary, Buttigieg has pledged to recognize how infrastructure has the power to bridge racial and economic disparities in America, as well as keep in lockstep with Biden's agenda of fighting climate change and address systems reeling from plummeting ridership amid the coronavirus pandemic. He will assume a department with 55,000 employees and a budget of tens of billions of dollars. So I think he's got a department bigger than the size of South Bend, Indiana. God. Talk about rising to your level of incompetence. 
Buttigieg tweeted shortly after the confirmation vote, like any good millennial would, that he's honored and humbled and ready to get to work. In a speech from Wilmington, Delaware, Buttigieg reflected on what the moment means for all LGBTQ Americans when Biden announced his nomination last year. And this is from that drama queen, Pete Buttigieg. I can remember watching the news, 17 years old in Indiana, seeing a story about an appointee of President Clinton named to be an ambassador attacked and denied a vote in the Senate because he was gay, ultimately able to serve only by recess appointment, he said. And I learned something about some of the limits that exist in this country when it comes to who is allowed to belong. Don't worry, Pete, you are a member of the ruling class you are in. But just as important, I saw how those limits could be challenged. LGBTQ rights organizations have praised Buttigieg's nomination as a major step in ensuring the incoming administration reflects the country's diversity. Unless, of course, as we had on Wednesday's podcast, unless you are Asian, you are not happy and you are not represented. Sarah Kate Ellis, a professional gay, president and CEO of GLAAD, the world's largest LGBTQ media advocacy organization, congratulated Buttigieg on his historic ascent on social media Tuesday as it became clear the Senate would confirm him. His historic confirmation hearing, where he introduced his husband, Chastin, was also a milestone for LGBTQ acceptance and representation, she said. Secretary Buttigieg's vision will improve all Americans' lives and navigate towards needed change to serve communities on the margins. We know he will continue to lead our country's drive for LGBTQ acceptance. I just want a highway without potholes. That's all I care about, Mayor Pete, or Secretary Pete. That's all I care about. I don't care about the gay highway or the straight highway or the capital B black highway. Just get me a damn highway that doesn't have a thousand potholes in it, and I will be a happy man. This is from page six, which is the New York Post gossip page. And someone else is in trouble for using a naughty word. And no, it is not a golfer uttering the word faggot, but a country music star saying the N-word. Morgan Wallen apologizes for using N-word. Morgan Wallen has apologized for using a racial slur in a leaked video. In the video obtained by TMZ, the country crooner can be seen walking to his Nashville home and telling someone to take care of this. Hmm, I have no idea how I'm going to say this. Uh, let's see. Kitty ass mother effer. And I'll let you figure out what kitty means. Take care of this. Here he goes again. Kitty ass and then he drops the N-word. He adds in the video, which features the singer and friends. That guy has a foul mouth. <laughs> Jesus Christmas. White Boy Malcolm X, I have never even heard of Morgan Wallen. Have you? Hell no. I don't know. And so now we get to the apology. I'm embarrassed and sorry. I used an unacceptable and inappropriate racial slur. You can say that again. That I wish I could take back Wallace 27 said in a statement given to E.T. There are no excuses to use this type of language, ever. I want to sincerely apologize for using the word. I promise to do better. Morgan, you just need to write that check. Country stars Maris Morgan and Mickey Guyton, two other country stars I have not heard of, spoke out against the still-going-down singer, claiming that this was not his first time using the racial epithet. So Mickey and Marin are throwing Morgan under the bus. Does anyone not have an M name there? Marin, Mickey, and Morgan. Good God. It actually is representative of our town because this isn't his first scuffle and he just demolished a huge streaming record last month regardless, Morris tweeted. We all know it wasn't his first time using that word. 
We keep them rich and protected at all costs with no recourse. And this is from Mickey. This is not his first time using that unacceptable racial slur, and we all know that. So what exactly are y'all going to do about it? Crickets won't work this time, Guyton wrote. How many passes will you continue to give? Asking for a friend, no one deserves to be canceled, but this is unacceptable. Wallen also came under fire in October when he was caught partying massless amid the coronavirus pandemic prior to performing on Saturday Night Live. The NBC Variety Show booted him and rescheduled his performance. Hmm. So there you go, folks. Not only does he use the N-word, but he doesn't wear a mask. And I don't know what's worse, White Boy Michael <laughs> What got him in more trouble? Partying massless or using that N-word. So Morgan... Like I told the golfer, whose name I forget now, just write that check and, and get out of that. And not to, not to make light of that, folks. I mean, that is not a word I would use. But uh, even at 51, Mama Frost would fly up here and slap me in the face. <laughs> like, don't you use that word. But, you know, I mean, let's face it. I mean, like the golfer, like he's basically going to write a big fat check or two. And he's just going to kind of get out of that. And uh, I'm sure it'll work the same way there. He'll go find some civil rights whatever who's looking to get a little bit of publicity. And he will... He will genuflect appropriately and write a couple big checks to donate to certain funds, and he will get out of that. This is from the BBC, and here's the headline. COVID-19, police find baby's birthday party goers 11,000 pounds. More than 11,000 in COVID fines have been handed out to 14 adults after they attended a one-year-old's birthday party. Nottinghamshire police were informed of the celebrations on Thursday after members of the public, so multiple COVID Karens, reported seeing party banners outside the gatherings. Man, there was a mad dash to the telephone. I'm seeing party decorations. They're going to throw a big party. you got to get out here and stop them. They're probably not even wearing masks. Officers said 24 people, including 10 children, were bunched into a small flat in Victoria Street, Mansfield. Each adult was fined £800 for attending the party. Under new COVID-19 measures introduced in January, people attending a gathering of more than 15 people at a house party incur a higher fine. Police issued £11,200 in fines after breaking up the celebrations at about 1,500 GMT. Assistant Chief Constable Steve Cooper, so he is the COVID Karen Popo, he said, Officers are putting their own health as well as their family's health on the line by attending these kinds of house parties night after night. We would appeal to all local residents to comply with the COVID-19 regulations, which are there to protect everyone. You tell them, Assistant Chief Constable Steve Cooper and White Boy Malcolm X, I don't know what is worse. Number one, you've got multiple tattletale neighbors. These people are just staring out their window looking for a COVID violator so they can snitch on them and send out the popo. So Constable or Assistant Chief Constable Steve Cooper can go out there and write those tickets. Number two, those fines are insane. <laughs> Good God. 800 pounds is like over a thousand bucks, I think. Man, just for showing up for a party, they're going to slap you with a thousand dollar fine. And number three, here it is. I don't know what's worse, the tattletales, the fines, or throwing a birthday party for a one-year-old for Christmas sake. So that baby is not going to remember a damn thing. <laughs> I don't know why people get so... I don't have kids, so I maybe... Maybe it's, you have one of those people guys, well, you don't have children, so I don't know why you're even talking about that. You know, those kind of angry chicks that get mad, mad at you if you say anything about a kid and you don't have a kid yourself. They're like, eh. But I, you know, I just look at it as, because the baby is never, I don't remember my first birthday party, my second birthday party, my third, my fourth, my fifth. 
maybe Mama Frost never had one before. <laughs> maybe that's why I don't remember them. But, you know, I don't rem- I didn't remember it. The baby doesn't remember it. And I guarantee you, it's just an excuse for the adults to get around and get drunk. Go, God, my God, we made it a year. With that stupid, screaming, little, crapping monster in our house. <laughs> That's what's going to cost you, folks. If you throw a party in England, it's going to cost you a lot of money, and you're going to get your neighbors all snitching on you. So the next time you want to throw one of those parties, think about that. Your neighbors are spies, and you are going to get slapped with a heavy fine just to entertain a one-year-old who is not even going to remember the damn thing. This is from Click Orlando, and here's the headline. Orlando Airport passenger busted trying to board plane with 22 pounds of meth. Jesus Christmas, that is a lot of the good stuff. A passenger at Orlando International Airport who attempted to board a plane with 22 pounds of crystal meth and $900 in cash claimed the drugs were in his. (laughs) Sounds like my ex. That's not my meth pipe. According to the Orlando Police Department. Police said a Transportation Security Administration agent spotted passenger Eli Brown at gate 35 around 8 a.m. on January 22nd and stopped him for a random bag check before he could board his flight to Louisville, Kentucky. Inside the backpack, police said the agent found 22 vacuum seal bags wrapped in white clothing that each contained a pound of meth and $900 in cash. Brown, 46, claimed the bag wasn't his and that he fell asleep at the gate after flying in from Los Angeles And when he woke up, the bag was next to him, and he assumed it was his since he arrived with an identical bag, according to the affidavit. (laughs) He was arrested on a charge of trafficking in methamphetamine over 200 grams. And now that Florida is cracking down, folks, I assume that might actually be a felony. So this dope. That's not my bag of meth. Goodness. Crystal meth. 22 pounds of it. Jesus Christmas. That is a lot of meth. I don't even know why I'm going to read this story. This is from The Advocate. And folks, you can probably already imagine what is in this article. But here's the headline. BIPOC LGBTQ plus seniors cannot wait any longer for COVID vaccine. And this is by Michael Adams and Yanira Cruz. And Michael and Yanira, I would not blame anyone else because we know that the BIPOC folks do not want the COVID vaccine because they do not trust Whitey's vaccine. So I don't know why you're complaining about that, but let's find out more. It's well known that older Americans have been especially hard hit by the COVID-19 pandemic. And folks, if you don't know what that means, that means they were disproportionately hit, just like everyone else. In fact, they are the most likely to be hospitalized and die from the virus. While it has been reassuring to see older Americans, along with healthcare and long-term care workers, prioritized in the initial vaccine distribution, we are deeply concerned that a life-and-death reality is being overlooked. LGBT and BIPOC older people are especially vulnerable and thus require particular attention in our country's COVID-19 immunization strategies. That attention is lacking to date, which is particularly troubling given that the heightened vulnerabilities of diverse elder communities are well documented. For starters, LGBT and BIPOC older people are more likely than older Americans in general to have underlying conditions that make them more vulnerable to adverse consequences from COVID-19, including higher rates of diabetes, cardiovascular disease, cancer, HIV, AIDS, and obesity. LGBT older people have higher rates of tobacco use and mental health issues. And you can say that again, LGBT and... (laughs) I'm just kidding, folks. Those queens are crazy. We all know it. 
LGBT and BIPOC older people are more likely to age in poverty, with the attendant consequences of more significant challenges accessing healthcare and nutritious food. And I am done reading this. Good God. Folks, this goes on and on and on. My God, this is, you know, folks, we have been reporting for, I think, months now, every article with these folks from like The Advocate and these other advocacy groups where someone is disproportionately disaffected and, and it just rotates. It's like sometimes it's BIPOC, sometimes it's LGBT, sometimes it's the young, sometimes it's the old, sometimes it's this, that, the other. Everyone is disproportionately disaffected and I can't keep up anymore. I need a massive flowchart to help me figure this nonsense out. But in this article, the older LGBT and BIPOC folks are today, they are the most disproportionately disaffected, not just the BIPOC folk who refuse to take the the vaccine. Anyway, this is from Hollywood and Toto, and here's the headline. Toronto sketch troupe cancels self. And that reminds me of an article we had a few months back about a white fraternity that shut itself down because it had no black members. And my point at the time was because you stupid little woke idiots didn't bother to recruit any or whatever they pledge any to the fraternity. And now you wake up one day and you're like, oh, we don't have any black members. We better shut down. So Blame yourselves. Don't blame anyone else. So let's find out what's going on with this sketch troupe in Toronto, the Canadians. A veteran comedy troupe tried the virtue signaling route following the rise of Black Lives Matter. When that failed to solve racism in the Great White North, the Skechersons took extreme measures. The long-running Canadian group canceled itself before the woke mob could do it for them. The Toronto-based group shared the grim news on social media late last month. The Post revealed why its initial embrace of BLM proved insufficient and how it forced them to crunch the numbers on its diverse lineup, or lack of diverse lineup as they saw it. That's when the trouble began, according to its Facebook posting. Here's part of the original BLM theme statement shared last June. In our 16-year history, we've had 86 cast members. Only 10 of them have been BIPOC. Only 5 of those have been Black, and that's capital B Black folks, so they had real Black people there. Our troop has benefited from a system that was built upon white supremacy. The last few years, we've made an effort to be more inclusive of queer and BIPOC voices, but it hasn't been enough. We've dragged our feet that recent events have forced us to make major changes within the Skechersons because black lives matter. And I don't know what they're complaining about because if they had 10 BIPOC people in the Skechersons, they probably probably had pretty much all the BIPOC people in Canada as part of that uh, part of their group. And carrying on, the sketch comedy community is rigged to support the success of white people, and we are part of the problem. Currently, the two head writers and two producers are all white. We are ready to dismantle this system. And can you imagine White Boy Malcolm X being one of those writers or one of those producers and knowing that your ass is about to get fired? The message proved insufficient, apparently. On January 25th, the group shared the original June posting as well as a fresh message explaining how the troop failed the community again. While writing the statement, we contacted the current and former black members of the troop for input, but released it before we received feedback from everyone we reached out to. The white members of the group prioritized being a part of the BLM conversation over listening to black voices. We were virtue signaling. Well, that's nice to see them admit that. Still, the group said it rushed the statement during a traumatic time for the black community, and we didn't reflect on our own complicity in upholding white supremacy within the troop. Our actions were insensitive and disrespectful, and we are sorry for the pain we caused. 
It seems the group's current and previous members are primarily white, and therefore it has not done enough of the work to create a welcoming space for BIPOC. If, when the show returns, we will regroup and further explore how we can prioritize the voices, safety, and inclusion of marginalized people. God, <laughs> you people are a bunch of insufferable white liberals. <laughs> oh, we're too white. We're too white. We've got to we gotta get all 10 black people in Canada into our trip. <laughs> bunch of crybabies. This reminds me of the... The, uh, the movie we talked about where they had the, one of the characters was in a wheelchair. So the producers prioritized finding someone in a wheelchair and they would figure out if they could act later. You know, wheelchair, can they act? It wasn't, let's find the best actress we can find. And then if she is able-bodied, we'll just stick her in a wheelchair. No, it was wheelchair first, actress second. And it's the same thing here. It's not, let's get the, the funniest, best ensemble cast we can to make the, uh, the Skechertsons, whatever that is, make them the best ensemble, you know, sketch comedy group in, in Toronto or in all of Canada. No, let's go get a bunch of token blacks we can have around or token gays or token Latinos or whatever. They would just stuff this place full of minorities and we can be all happy with it. We can feel woke and we can get rid of our white guilt. And I cannot imagine, it's like having pets around. <laughs> Bunch of virtue signaling by white people. They go like, look at all the black people we have around. Our white guilt is gone. <laughs> Can you imagine being one of these black people going, am I really here because I'm funny? Or am I here just to placate white guilt? I'll tell you what, you are there to placate white guilt. That is the only reason you are there. This is another one. I don't know why I'm reading this one either. This is from Fast Company. And it's written by this guy named Bradley Tusk. And he describes himself as a venture capitalist, writer, philanthropist, and political strategist. So he is all up in there in a couple of different things. He's got lots going on. But here's this headline. The next global crisis is already here. And it's even worse than COVID-19. Imagine the horrors of coronavirus compounded and made permanent. That's climate change. So this guy... He's not a scientist. He's a venture capitalist, a writer, philanthropist, and political strategist. But this man, I'll tell you what, he's like Al Gore. He has got climate change down. He is also a climate change expert. Politicians who care about the future, ours and theirs, can't wait to act. If you ask Americans what they care about, the results aren't too surprising. Over decades of opinion polling, this same combination of issues tends to occupy the most mindshare. Jobs, education, crime, health care. The order shifts with the ebbs and flows of the economy, but it's generally stable. Of course, we weren't expecting the typical answers when my consulting firm, which is helping to run Andrew Yang's campaign for mayor, recently polled 800 likely voters in New York City. Nor were we surprised by the top issue chosen by a whopping 45% of respondents, COVID-19. One year ago, hardly anyone knew what coronavirus was. Today, it's all that most voters care about. The next two concerns that appeared in our survey, crime at 11%, and racial and social justice, 8%, weren't even close. And I wonder, White Boy Malcolm X, if crime and racial and social justice, if those two are tied somehow. Hmm, I'm trying to think how, how, how racial and social justice would be tied to crime. Hmm. Oh, eliminate the police. That's right. How could I forget? The poll helps to explain what New Yorkers are looking for in their next mayor, but it also contains lessons for future politicians. When a crisis arrives, voters want something different from the usual political norms, 
and the mother of all crises is still ahead of us. This guy, Bradley Tusk, is a drama queen. I'm not talking about another pandemic, although that remains a risk. I'm talking about climate change. God. A decade from now, uh-oh, we got a whole decade, folks, COVID-19 will be a painful distant memory and a new harsh reality will be setting in. In the West, raging wildfires. This is what you get to look forward to, folks, in a decade. In the West, raging wildfires and smoke-filled days. In the East, massive hurricanes and flooding shorelines. In some parts of the world, this new reality will mean you can't go outside during certain times of the day because the heat is too extreme. In others, it will mean daily water restrictions because of droughts. And this, this goes on and on and on. So Bradley Tusk, who is not a scientist, ranting and raving doom and gloom about about climate change, like they all do. And this reminds me of, I mean, at 51, they have been doing this shtick for decades. They have been, oh, in 10 years and five years or whatever. And I remember when Al Gore pulled that crap and he was, I can't remember his timeline, but at the time, Rush Limbaugh, the talk show host, put on his website the countdown. So I think Al Gore said something like 10 or 15 years. It was, it was quite a few years. And Rush Limbaugh actually put on his website the countdown and counted down I think about a decade, that thing was on this man's website, just counting down to Al Gore's doom and gloom. If in 10 years we didn't fix all these problems, we were done as as a society. We were done as a species on planet Earth. And 10 years came and went. And that's it's been a couple years. I don't know how many years it's been since Al Gore's latest prophecy. And remember, folks, Al Gore is the uh, the guy that got rich, 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 like nine figure rich, scaring the hell out of children and telling them about all this doom and gloom, and that's what Bradley Tusk is doing as well. Bradley gives us 10 years, another 10 years, every time. It's like 10 years here, 10 years there, 10 years there. We're 30, 40 years into this now, and none, none of their predictions have come true, and this one will not either. He's just a stupid drama queen trying to get Andrew Yang elected mayor of New York. Well, I mean, all things considered, I guess Andrew is not a bad choice. And that is in a completely relative way, folks. Not that I would vote for him, but I mean, relative to that human dumpster fire pile of candidates that is currently wanting to be the next mayor of New York after de Blasio, Yang is like, they're all hold your nose and pray to God, but he's the uh, the least of that, I would say, which is not saying much. <laughs> this is from Breitbart and how's this headline. DePaul University Black Student Union Demands Segregated Safe Spaces. Students at DePaul University in Chicago, Illinois, so we're back, folks, we are back to Illinois, more racism there, are demanding segregated safe spaces for black students on and off campus. The Black Student Union at DePaul University, and I can only imagine how much fun that group is at a meeting, is demanding special accommodations for black students in the wake of the Capitol Hill riot which they refer to as a display of white power. The demands include new programs and racially segregated safe spaces, both on and off campus. So white power, white boy Malcolm X, we have to add that to the list because, folks, we have white privilege and we have white supremacy and now we have white power. And that is on top of systemic racism. And I don't know if you're asking me what all that is. I don't know what the difference between white power and white supremacy and white privilege is. I'm sure I have all three of it, but I don't know the difference between the three. And that is, folks, that is also on top of, if you look at when that dopey chick out in San Francisco was going after poor Bernie Sanders, 
She was complaining about his white privilege and his male privilege and his class privilege. So there's all sorts of privileges and supremacies and powers <laughs> going on with these BIPOC folks. They can't make up their mind what it is. So let's find out more about what these drama queens at the Black Students Union at DePaul University are talking about. The disgusting display of white power, not to be confused with white privilege, I don't know about you folks, but I am damn confused, is something we should all fear, though we know that situations and tensions in this country will always negatively affect black people, but not so much white people began the students in their statement. While the attempted coup was a scary act of white power, the end of spring quarter 2019-2020 and the following months after that were horrifying for black students on campus, the statement continued. Oh my God, folks, that was horrifying for them. Let's find out how. We were scared for our lives. We saw our friends getting beaten and arrested, if not worse, and DePaul's delayed response in contrast to the quickness in which they've replied to this week's events is just another indicator of how little DePaul cares for their black students, added the students referring to previous social justice protests. It took petitions and a campus-wide movement for DePaul to address the protests, where in that statement they wrote the late Eric Gardner's name as Eric Ferguson. <laughs> the statement continued, When we felt threatened by DePaul's deal with the FOP, they tokenized a Latinx police officer as a means to silence us, and show us that they've made their decision. Money is worth more than the black and brown students at DePaul. And does anything in that statement, white boy Malcolm X, does anything in that strike you as odd? You've been paying attention very good. So yes, Latinx. Who uses the word Latinx, folks? Because I guarantee you, no one at the Black Student Union at DePaul University uses the word Latinx. Latinx is the exclusive rights of snooty white people. <laughs> That's who uses that word. You can always tell a white liberal because they will use the word Latinx like that. They just, that's what they do. And, and so I'm wondering, white boy Malcolm X, if the Black Student Union at DePaul University is much like BLM and it is run by a bunch of hysterical white millennial women. Because <laughs> that's the only people that use the word Latinx. I'm like, whoa, when did that pop up? Just seems odd to me. I mean, that is just damn peculiar if you ask me. The student union went on to complain that the university only let students forego their final exams last year after white students joined black students in an effort to get them canceled. So that's what, they, that's what they're pissed off about, folks. They have to take their final exams. When in spring quarter of the last academic year, black students asked for some kind of relief from one of our great stressors, final exams. Hmm. White boy Malcolm X, did you know, black students union at uh, DePaul University, that is a great stressor for them. Not white privilege, not white supremacy, not white power, not systemic racism, but a great stressor for them is final exams. <laughs> Look, kids, I hate to break it to you, but uh, you are going to be so butthurt when you get out in the real world. <laughs> and you're going to be like to your boss, you'll be like, well, I'm, I'm really upset about systemic racism and I can't turn my assignment in on time. And he's going to be like, well, you turn the damn assignment in or I'm going to fire your ass. <laughs> They're going to they're gonna have, man, they're going to have a meltdown. You kids are in for a world of hurt. Trust me. Anyway, it took the co-opting of white students, who some did so for their own benefit, going as far as calling it the awesome perks of spring quarter, and immense pressure from the student body for DePaul to allow a loosely worded policy, the student said. Even then, most black students still had finals since certain professors ignored this rule they added. <laughs> oh, poor princess, poor princess. 
No black student expects it to be easy to attend a predominantly white institution, but blatant disrespect will not be tolerated, the student union affirmed. We demand answers. From there, the students went on to list their demands, which included more black therapists, university-funded healing and safe spaces for black students on and off campus, diversity and inclusion training led by black and brown people, that would be fun, and respect from the administration, among other things. It is imperative that spaces for black students on campus continue to receive the necessary funding and recognition as they provide safe and healing components through the presence of other students, faculty, and staff who look like us, said the students of their demand for safe spaces. It's <laughs> like a pack of racists to me if they don't want Whitey around. So DePaul University, for you folks that don't know, is a private Catholic institution. And I think, I can't imagine what that tuition is, but I gotta be, I don't know, 100 grand a year tuition board. I'm just throwing that out there. I don't know, but it is not a cheap school. It's not your local community college for you to go to DePaul. So I look at this as a bunch of spoiled brats running around having a meltdown because they had to take final exams and they don't have enough safe spaces. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's funny how, how things have come full circle sometimes. And I've used this example on the show before about uh, paper bags versus plastic bags. When my first job was bagging groceries at a Winn-Dixon, you only had paper bags, right? And so plastic bag came out because you had to get rid of the paper bags because they were killing trees and it was all this horrible nonsense. And then what happened? 30 years later, we have to get rid of plastic bags because they're evil and they're polluting and all this other crap. So now we're back to paper bags <laughs> again. And so we once, folks, we once had segregation in this country and segregation was a horrible thing. It was a bad thing. In all seriousness, it was. It was a wretched, wretched way to have society. And, and now we're going back to segregation because these hypersensitive capital B black students just don't want to be around whitey. They don't want to be around anyone else. They have to only be around other black people and maybe a couple of Latinos thrown in there or Latinx thrown in there, maybe the token white person. But for the most part, they have to have their safe spaces. They can only talk to other black people. They can only have black therapists. They don't want to take their exams. They have to have all these safe spaces and all these things. Everything has to be done by black people for black people and brown people and all this other crap. And they just, they can't be around whitey anymore. So. They're not having it forced upon them anymore, but they're begging for it. They just put us back, put us back by ourselves. <laughs> you kids are a bunch of stupid drama queens, a bunch of crybabies. Jesus Christmas. Now, like I said earlier, you are in for a world, a world of hurt when you get into the real world. I guess unless, unless you, um, unless you work for government, <laughs> then they'll encourage that kind of behavior. You're all good there. This is from NOLA.com, and here's the headline. Mandeville chaplain charged with reaching under grieving widow's blouse gets prison time. Damn, they are not fooling around in Louisiana. A visiting priest from Zambia who was working as a chaplain at a Mandeville retirement home was sent to prison Wednesday for reaching under an elderly woman's blouse multiple times in an effort to seduce her according to authorities. The Reverend Michael Malenga was accused of pursuing the woman after administering last rites to her dying husband. A St. Tammany Parish judge convicted Malenga, 49, of a misdemeanor battery charge and immediately sent him to prison for five months, officials said. So, white boy Malcolm X, if you try to fondle a woman's whatever under a blouse a couple times, it is a misdemeanor, but you're still, your ass is still going to jail for five months. They don't play around with that sort of fondling in Louisiana. But I guess that pervert reverend gets what he deserves. 
ministering last rites to the dying husband. He is checking out the wife, wondering, how can I fondle that? Malenga met 75-year-old Lynn Mishler in 2019 while working as the chaplain of Roquette Lodge, an independent living facility run by an archdiocese nonprofit that provides affordable housing to low-income seniors. Mishler's husband of more than 50 years, George Butch Mishler, was dying at the time. Malenga administered the Catholic sacrament known as the Anointing of the Sick to the 74-year-old Butch Mishler before his death on November 4, 2019, according to records filed in the 22nd Judicial District Court in St. Tammany Parish. Lynn Mishler said she was grieving her husband's death when Malenga approached her in the building's laundry room and asked her why she was still wearing a wedding ring, according to court records. Malenga then came to her apartment at Roquette Lodge on January 2, 2020, asked to have a drink with her, and made remarks about her beauty and thin body, she said. He soon reached under her shirt and tried to grab her breast several times. She told him to stop and asked him to leave, according to the records. Malenga did leave, but he grabbed Mishler and squeezed her against his body on the way out. (laughs) So this idiot doesn't know when no means no. She was very uncomfortable, said a civil attorney for Mishler, Jim Gardner. It was very offensive. Mishler reported the clergyman to building management the next day. She also notified the Mandeville Police Department and New Orleans Archbishop Gregory Amond indefinitely suspended him from working locally as a priest. And here's the fun part. Mishler is pursuing a civil lawsuit seeking damages from Malenga, Rouquette Lodge, and its owner, the nonprofit Christopher Holmes. So for this woman, Lynn Mishler, having him fired and arrested and thrown in jail for five months is not enough. She is suing him for a couple of grossly inappropriate feels. I'm not going to deny that, but, you know, she had him arrested. She had him fired, and he is in five months in jail. I don't know what she thinks she's going to get out of him, and I think it's really kind of bizarre, if you ask me, that she is suing a nonprofit, the place that puts all these folks up in a home. She is suing them like they had some sort of, you know, culpability in this creepy priest running around and copping fields on on widows. God. Honey, I, I hope that makes you happy in the long run. And if you folks thought that uh, those hysterical, dopey kids at DePaul University were bad, this is from Campus Reform, and how's this headline? Harvard students push for curriculum audit, mandatory anti-racism courses. Harvard Kennedy School students, and I bet JFK folks, I bet he is spinning in his grave as we speak, sent an open letter to administrators demanding racial equity actions including a mandatory anti-racism course for master's degree students and a full audit of the curriculum using an anti-racist, anti-colonial lens. And folks, when I see the word audit, I think of one thing, and that is Queens with clipboards going in and auditing the hell out of that thing. You can see that go, it's time for your full audit, and we are just going to go through this curriculum. I got my clipboard ready, and we are just going to go. And don't you worry, folks. Don't worry about a thing. I got my anti-racist, anti-colonial lenses on. And let me tell you something. These lenses are Prada, dear. So they're fabulous. And we are just, we're going to anti-racist, anti-colonial this thing. We just got the clipboard. I got my pen. And we're just going to check these boxes. And we're going to go through here. And we're going to do a full audit of this curriculum. Don't you worry. A full audit. Those folks are in trouble. Roughly 200 members of the Kennedy School's 1,200 students signed the letter from the HKS Equity Coalition. You can only imagine how much fun they are which is working to mobilize our peers, and by mobilize their peers, folks, they mean intimidate their classmates into signing up for this, pressure the administration to create transformative change, 
and hold each other accountable in community. Again, bullying other people. And if you if you need to know what that looks like, just watch them trash the folks that don't sign up for this on social media and call them a bunch of racists. When placing Harvard Kennedy School, HKS, within the context of our white supremacist society, the racial inequity and injustice at this institution is not surprising, open the letter. However, it is also no excuse for the school's complacency. And white boy Malcolm X, can you imagine being one of those dopey white woke liberals in Cambridge? <laughs> and I was just talking about what a bunch of douchebags those folks at Harvard are on Wednesday, but now I feel kind of bad for them because... <laughs> There's folks, those, they try so hard down there to be as PC as possible, those white folks. Oh, we love the colored folks. <laughs> they do. We love the Latinx and the black, the capital B black folks. We just love them to death. We, we love the gay people and the transgenders, and, and we love everyone. We just want to be so accepting of everyone. And that's how they are. They really are. <laughs> I mean, now, granted, that's a little condescending when it comes out of their mouth like that because they are kind of snooty and it's all kind of a little bit of pretension. But they're as woke as they can be for dopey white people, and they're basically being called a bunch of bigots and racists. <laughs> so. Bless their hearts. Bless all their hearts down in Cambridge. You've got these angry minorities running around and these stupid, dopey white liberals who keep trying to bend over as far back as they can without snapping their back in half. And, and they can't ever win with these folks because you give them an inch, they're going to take 10 miles. The students demanded that the Kennedy School implement a semester-long course on global racism, colonialism, and public policy, which would be mandatory for all master's degree students. The letter expressed concern that without a comprehensive and nuanced understanding of the institutions of dominance that have historically excluded groups from social, political, and economic participation, HKS graduates are poised to deepen social hierarchies and inequities in their work. Citing Boston University professor and leading critical race theory scholar Ibram X. Kendi, so he's about to get another gig, I believe, the students would like Harvard to pay student representatives from the Equity Coalition and other student groups to help with the review. So, uh oh white boy Malcolm X, they're talking about not hiring queens with clipboards. <laughs> they want BIPOC folk to do those reviews. They want them. Can you imagine those kind of audits? And I'm not even going to do that impression because I'm going to get in a lot of trouble if I do it. In addition to the new course and curriculum audit, which apparently are not going to be done by queens with clipboards, but by BIPOC folk, Students requested a mandatory biannual anti-racism workshop for all Kennedy School students, faculties, and affiliates. So if you are Ibram X. Kendi and you are out there listening to this podcast of the Miller Frost Show, you, sir, are about to get more book sales. So if you want to go look at another vacation home, I would start doing that now. This workshop would teach participants to confront their own individual connections to power and privilege and examine internalized, interpersonal, institutional, and structural racism. The Equity Coalition asked the university to hire four new BIPOC scholars each year who will study the intersectionality of race, gender identity, class, caste, and power. Students would likewise be paid participants in the hiring process. Among other demands were the shifts for the financial aid structure from merit-based to need-based and a significant funding commitment for racial equity work. <laughs> You folks at the HKS Equity Coalition, you folks are exhausting. <laughs> if there were ever a group, folks, if there was ever a group of BIPOC people who have privilege, it's anyone at the Harvard Kennedy School. <laughs> Those folks are going to make bank. I would not worry about them in the least. This is from News 
And here's the headline. I was looking for a special kick. Doctor accidentally kills lover by sprinkling cocaine on his penis before oral sex. Hmm. Let's find out about what's going on there. A top German doctor who was jailed for causing the death of a woman by sprinkling cocaine on his penis before she performed oral sex on him at his home in Halberstadt, southeast of Hanover, has broken his silence from behind bars. As news.com.au reports, Dr. Andreas David Neiderbischler was sentenced to nine years in prison in 2019 after a German court found him guilty of multiple counts of rape and grievous bodily harm causing death. The 45-year-old plastic surgeon had been having an affair with his victim, known only as Yvonne M., who died after Niederbischler secretly put cocaine under his foreskin before she performed oral sex on him, a court found. The hairdresser collapsed and died of a cocaine overdose after performing the sex act on the doctor in February 2018. She was unaware that he laced his genitals with the Class A drug. The German doctor has now spoken out from prison to deny that his lover had been an unknowing participant in the cocaine usage, which ultimately caused her death. I was looking for a special kick, and they took part, Niederbischler told German newspaper Bild, adding that he never drugged any woman without her knowledge. <laughs> well, that's a German gentleman for you, isn't it? I will not give you the drugs unless you ask me for it or you know about it. As the Daily Mail reports, Yvonne's widower and son are now suing Niederbischler over her death, so he is in jail for a long time, and they are suing him just like that woman is suing the nutty priest, which is what prompted the disgraced doctor to break his silence to deny being responsible for what happened. Niederbischler described Yvonne as an experienced cocaine user who willingly took part in the sex game and knew what she was getting into. <laughs> and enough about that. Goodness. So he... He liked to put coke on his penis and screw women with it. <laughs> you Germans and your, your sex fetishes, good God. And the family's going after him from jail. This is from the Jerusalem Post. Belgium, imam deported, mosque may close after anti-LGBTQ activities. A Turkish imam will be deported from Belgium after it was found out that he posted anti-LGBTQ content on social media and his mosque might be closed, Haaretz reported on Tuesday. The imam wrote that homosexuality is an illness. Uh-oh, white boy Malcolm X, it is an illness, and added that it is forbidden by Islam. The Belgian Secretary of State for Asylum and Migration, Sami Mahdi, informed the imam that there is no place in Belgium for those who sow the seeds of hate, and refused to extend his living permit. The imam was appointed by Turkey's Presidency of Religious Affairs to work in Belgium. Everyone who does not hold our values will have to bear the consequences, the minister added. The Green Mosque near Gent is under review with the intention to cancel its license. So for some reason, folks, Turkey has a Presidency of Religious Affairs and they sent one to Belgium and this guy... Is said that we have an illness, white boy Malcolm X. That's just kind of rude. And they are throwing him out of the country. And Sammy Mahdi, the Secretary of State for Asylum and Migration, is not having any of that. Out you go. Out you go, Imam. <laughs> and I'm just going to say, Sammy, someone is going to get their head cut off if, they're, if they are not careful about what they say about the Imam. So watch yourself, Sammy. Watch out. This is, white boy Malcolm X, we are almost done. We got two stories left. <laughs> And this is from Boston.com. It's from a New York Times service. 
Texas Department Apologizes for Chucky Amber Alert. An Amber Alert set to Texans last week warned that a child had been abducted by Chucky, a 28-year-old male doll with red or auburn hair, so he is an evil ginger, and blue eyes who stands at 3 feet 1 inch tall. His race was given as Other Doll. <laughs> the alert, which was sent by email Friday, warned of a 16-pound suspect wearing blue denim overalls and wielding a huge kitchen knife. It included an image of Chucky, the killer doll introduced in the 1988 slasher film Child's Play, the first of a series of Chucky films. The Texas Department of Public Safety has since apologized, saying in a statement that the alert was sent as the result of a test malfunction. <laughs> and folks, how many people in Texas do you believe got that alert and were like, holy crap, holy crap, there's a little child with a knife. Take another baby. <laughs> That's why they had to come out and say, oh, we're wrong, folks, because people would probably believe that. We apologize for the confusion that this may have caused and are diligently working to ensure that this does not happen again, the department said. People who had subscribed... what White boy Malcolm X was like, can you imagine what they would have, how they would have responded in Florida? <laughs> they would have had to shut the state down. They would have had to shut that state completely down because those folks would have, I mean, you want to talk about a panic riot. <laughs> People who had subscribed to the Texas alert system received the email alert three times Friday, KENS5, a television station in San Antonio reported. So not once, not twice, but three times, folks, these people got warned about Chucky. The alert identified the abductee as Glenn, a five-year-old boy wearing a blue shirt with a black collar. In Seed of Chucky in 2004, a doll named Glenn is Chucky's child. So that doll breeds, folks. <laughs> the alert said that Chucky and Glenn were last seen at a residential address in Henderson, Texas, a city about 130 miles southeast of Dallas. A woman who answered a call to a phone number associated with that address Wednesday said, Yes, I'm aware when asked about the alert before hanging up. So some idiot reporter Googled the address, found out... Uh, found out the telephone number, and called this poor woman who's probably been inundated with phone calls about, about Chucky and Glenn gone missing. Okay then, folks. You folks in Texas need to behave yourselves and watch those alerts. This is our final story, and it is, like I said, it is a smoking gun story, and here's the headline. Shooting victim sues swastika enthusiast. Fleeing woman was shot in back after tearing down a Nazi flag. The unarmed woman who was shot in the back after tearing down a Nazi flag flying in front of a gunman's Oklahoma home, of course Oklahoma, has sued her assailants for negligence, according to court records. In a January 28th district court petition, Kendall McVeigh, 26, accuses Alexander Feaster of acting with reckless disregard in connection with the shooting last year outside Feaster's residence in the home of Hunter, which has a population, folks, of a whopping 173 people. McVeigh was at a party across from Feaster's home last June when she crossed the street around 2.55 a.m. And what have I always told you folks? No good comes from being out after midnight and grabbed one of the two swastika flags flying outside the residence. As McVeigh fled with the flag, Feaster, carrying an AR-15 rifle, emerged from his home. Without warning, the 45-year-old Feaster fired at least seven shots at McVeigh who was struck several times in the lower abdomen and legs, according to a probable cause affidavit. Police found McVeigh in a ditch across from Feaster's property. McVeigh's gunshot injuries required multiple surgeries and several weeks of hospitalization, 
Her lawsuit is seeking in excess of $75,000 in damages for mental and physical pain and suffering, medical expenses, lost time, and change in physical and mental condition. Feaster was arrested following the shooting and charged with assault and battery with a deadly weapon, a felony. Investigators allege that Feaster, aware of the party across the street, was lying in wait for someone to try and steal his Nazi flags. <laughs> You're not taking them from me! The shooting was captured by Feaster's home security system, which cops say recorded him exiting the front door with a large AR platform rifle on a sling at the ready. Feaster, free on $75,000 bail, is scheduled for a March 5th preliminary hearing in the shooting case. He claims to have acted in self-defense <laughs> when firing upon the fleeing flag thief, adding that he was in fear of imminent danger of death or great bodily harm. In fact, Feaster has claimed McVeigh is the real criminal and that he is actually a hate crime victim. Hmm, who knew? The AR-15, Feaster contends, is a precautionary weapon that he aimed below McVeigh's center mass so that the fuselage would not prove fatal. <laughs> so to, uh, to sum up that story, folks, you have a middle-aged, a 45-year-old Nazi living across the street in this little podunk town in the middle of Oklahoma, and this drunk chick at 2-something in the morning is like, I'm going to go over there and get me one of them Nazi flags. And so she's waddling over there. She's not the skinniest of chicks, folks, but she's going to waddle over there. And she's got a nose ring, too, which tells you all about her. And she goes over there and takes that flag. I got that flag. I got that flag. She's running back, and he comes out with his gun and shoots her in the back. <laughs> Damn. And if you notice, folks, nobody at the party across the street bothered to help her because they found her in a ditch. <laughs> like, I'm not messing with that Nazi. She's on her own. She's on her own. God. <laughs> So, if there's a lesson to be learned here, don't screw with Nazis. <laughs> you steal a Nazi's flag, they're going to get really butthurt, and you will probably get shot because you know they probably got a couple guns hiding out in that house with them. And on that note, we are out of here. So, folks, thank you so much for joining us on another Sunday podcast of the Miller Frost Show. Have a great rest of your weekend start to your week hope you enjoy the super bowl if that's your cup of tea and we will see you back here again on wednesday take care Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.